right. Hello, everybody. And thank you for our listener who is listening to this episode of Flail Forward. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you should probably see, you know, professional psychiatrist. For they like great it is. entertainment. Yeah. So today, for some bizarre reason, somebody decided that I should actually be hosting an episode. I don't know why this was thought to be a good idea, but here we are. I mean, we're used to dumpster fire, so why not? It's mostly a consequence of what the topic is tonight. Yeah, and today's topic is going to be world design. Yay! So anyway, so who we have with us today is Paris Noir. Hello. We have Fred with us today. Come here, boys. I got something to say. <laughs> we have Jonathan as well. Hello. Uh, Cavoir. Yes, hello. <laughs> I don't feel so sad. <laughs> I know it's a terrible episode, but you can make it through. Our That's listener fine. has to. Just, just know that they are sharing your pain. And we have Mark. Hello. And we have Rob today. Yes, we have Rob today. And myself, Catrice. So, yay. So, as stated, today's episode is about world design. To get us started, um, I guess the most obvious question to ask is, what is world design just as a concept in general? Like, what makes it what it is? Any thoughts, anyone? World design is crafting the fictional environment in which fictional events occur. Okay, that's a pretty good start. Anyone else? Uh, world design is a collection of real-world experiences which are turned into fictional imaginations and then melded into this fictional space that then story happens in. Hmm. You could take that one level of abstraction higher if you want. And, oh, uh, okay, do it. like you want, Rob. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, and then, so, so th then it's the, the, um, the imposition of consciousness on fictional space. Oh, okay. That sounds much nicer than the way I said it. Good job. Okay. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by it? <laughs> what do I mean by it? Yeah. Well, like... it, it, it's, it's, uh, the, so when you world design, you're specifically tailoring something. Right. So it is, you're, you're taking this fictional space and rather than, uh, so when you're playing a game, you're not, you're generally speaking, not doing world design or you're not doing much of it. Uh, you're, you're already playing around within the space that was created, uh, beforehand. Some games, however, do world design as part of the, play experience right. which is mm -hmm. which is pretty cool but it is the so the reason i say the imposition of consciousness upon fictional space is it's you're you were taking our like fred said taking our experiences and uh desires and uh intents um and uh constructing uh, a a playable area within a fictional space um at least for our purposes, for okay. world design, for within fiction itself, you don't have to allow other people to mess around in it, which is mm. one of the constraints we have to work under as RPG designers. Like our world building has to allow for the possibility of other minds interfering with it. It, yeah, I, it very much has to be. Oh, sorry. Go, go for it, cat. 
No, I was just going to say that, yeah, it kind of has to be because the GM or whatever they're called or the players or anybody who's doing anything to interact with the game, they can basically slip in whatever they want. Like, without the game designer being there in person, you have no say of what they do within your setting. Yep. <coughs> and so... Oh, go ahead, John. Yeah, I basically agree. I think I just want to say that I think that there's been a lot of talk as setting as part of world design, but I think world design or, or world building is part of setting. And so the way I look at it is it's creating the setting um, and it has to be a shared fictional space that we play in. Okay, so then what is the difference to you between world and setting? since you seem to be differentiating them. I guess nothing, but uh, I've heard comments about how setting sort of falls underneath world uh, world building or world design. I, I just think it's, like you said, more of the same thing. I, I prefer... I understand what world building is, but I, when I think about uh, game design, I, I think about setting. Hmm. Yeah, I tend to think of it more from the perspective of intellectual property design. Because that's usually what it's referred to when you're doing it professionally. Because, like, once you get into it, it's not just a world that you're working on. It's basically anything that's identifiable as this particular IP that you're talking about. So, like, the Star Wars IP or My Little Pony or whatever. Anything that defines it as being part of that is basically the world building. It's interesting because I, I would have said that um, like my view of what world building is, is setting up sort of the why or how of your setting. And your setting is the uh, location, time, place, environment that your game takes place in presently. Because I think you can have a setting without much world building behind it um, mm -hmm. where you have like a, a time and place, but you don't necessarily know, well, what happened to the Aztecs? Um, Whereas the world building kind of explains how you got to the state or why things work the way they do. Yeah. Okay, so perhaps you're kind of getting back into the area of <clears throat> distinguishing setting as the current state and world building as the entire timeline leading up to that state. Uh, um, not only timeline, but I'd say it's also like the the foundation, like whether it's different physics or or what the rules of the universe are that that define the setting like the mm -hmm. the yeah um i think there's there's a piece of it that uh when when you're starting out to 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 build a world for an rpg if that's what you're doing so one of the things we should address right up front um is that generally speaking for universal games you don't have an implied setting um and but universal games can imply world building elements. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's a meaningful distinction there. I'm not exactly sure what it is yet. Um, mm. and, and the same thing, the same thing for um, gen generic games like so games that are toolkits like Savage Worlds, Fate, GURPS, and stuff like that will have no world implied or no setting implied, but they definitely have world building elements. Um, Fates. 
because fate is geared more towards a mimicking of um, like a, a, a literary fiction, like the, the characters are pulpy. Mm-hmm. It, it, it implies certain things about um, either world building or the setting. I'm quite not quite sure which we might have to define the term mm-hmm. a little more tightly, but it, it's certainly asking you to play in a certain kind of way that will lead to certain kinds of worlds being being constructed in with those rules. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Rob, we're going to have an episode where I get to just where I get to describe this for myself, and you don't get to steal it from me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't steal it from you. I didn't steal it from you. Did I steal that from you? How much was that? How much was cribbed there? Like uh, you no kind of dance around like the action. Yeah, you kind of dance around the actual like static definitions of universal generic and bound which I'll yeah a little bit I yeah. do now well yeah. so, since we're on that Kara's, would you mind going into those three shortly just to give a brief description of them because they are kind of relevant and we did discuss these yes. in episode 13 for any mm-hmm. for our one listener who wants to go back and check <laughs> for a deeper discussion God, why won't you listen to an episode twice what's wrong with you sorry Right. So, and then, and then I'll tie this back into the relationship between system and setting. So, starting at the broadest character, a uh, broadest care category, a universal game uh, is designed to handle any setting, any setting genre. So it can go fantasy, sci-fi steampunk classical greece it can do it at least claims to do all of that mm-hmm. um the next level down would be generic and universal games are things like fate and champions and GURPS. generic games are games that only operate within a certain setting genre so these are games that only do fantasy or only do sci-fi or only do one kind of setting. Like D&D is generic. Um, I suppose Blades in the Dark is generic. Um, Pathfinder is generic. Blades isn't so generic, but, uh, most part, but Urban Shadows and Monster Hearts, etc. are. <laughs> Blades yeah, has Blades a very clearly defined. Not generic. Okay, yep. Blades is not generic. Blades is the next thing, which is Bound, which is a mm-hmm. game that is designed for a specific setting, regardless of what genre it falls within. Mm-hmm. So Blades is Blades is is Bound. Um, Pendragon is Bound. Any Shadow game Run that's based exceptionally on exceptionally Bound. Shadow Run. Shadow Run, yeah. Shadow Run is Bound. Yeah. Any game based on existing IP or the game author's IP is bound. So like Sarasa is bound, all the Star Wars games are bound, all the Lord of the Rings games are bound, and so on and so forth. Uh, Ashes and Magi Ash. is bound. Yeah, Ashes is bound. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah Ashes is bound. We might actually want to make a newer distinction because previously <laughs> Most of the bound games were pretty narrow in their scope. Like, if you play something that's like 
Star Wars, for example, like you are bound to a fairly narrow concept of what that world can do. Like the setting is pretty narrow, really. You don't have like a lot of room to maneuver around within it. That's... Well, Star Wars is broad, but it's not very deep. Yeah, but I mean, like in terms of actual capacity to do stuff within it, it it's kind of limiting. Whereas if you look at like, say, Rob's game Ashes of the Magi, or my own Seorsa, like they're set up much more to be, though they're still technically bound, they're very broad in the scale of what you can do within them. Like, it's very much so Rob's uh, favorite quote of, you know, rigidly defined areas of doubt and uncertainty where there's a lot of room to move around within them. Well, okay, the, the three levels are really intended to delineate relationships scope between the system and the setting, not what the kind of gameplay is or what the setting is or has in it. Yeah. yeah I, they, I realize they're, that. they're really basic that way. Yes. We're, we're not going to get... We already did an episode on this. Let's not get into it. Let's not <laughs> have a second one. Yeah. yeah, fine. Right. right. So now, with with that laid out, I can get into the relationship between system and setting, which is they're separate but symbiotic and interdependent. So like each each in a pair makes demands of the other that the other must satisfy. So like if the setting demands that there's magic, the the system has to provide magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be kind of weird if you didn't. Yep. If and that's if the sy- if the system specifies that characters have a strength attribute, then muscular you know, sure has to be available. Well, we have to be able to lift then, stuff. Gravity yeah, should probably yeah. work in the setting, you know. Yeah, exactly. As mm-hmm. but it's it, those those things, yeah. So to us, for for RPG designers, um, the, the the one of the main takeaways needs to be how does your world building shape your your mechanics and vice versa. Uh, when you when you're looking to and and another thing I wanted to bring up before it got we get too down too far down the road on any of these topics okay. is that. Um, uh, world building also is an expression of theme within your game. Um, that's but I don't have to bring it up. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but we just need to we need to plant that flag because one of the things there, there's two there's sort of two masters you need to satisfy with world building, and one of those is the system, and one of those are the intent behind your game. So the themes you want to address. Yep. Um, if if you want to address. Um, you know, if you want the players to behave in a heroic way, then you have to give them opportunities within the world to do so. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense for you to ha- have um, the characters for the intent of the game to be heroic, and then you are um, the setting is now a grim and gritty 
war survival horror mm-hmm. genre where exactly. it's not about you know the opportunities for heroism don't really exist it's just this grind against attrition um and so when you when you have certain themes you want the game to express you you need to be cognizant of that in your world building yep and i think actually rob i would argue that it doesn't need to express theme it needs to it needs to at the very least lay the foundation for theme that's fair okay otherwise universal or no otherwise universal games would have no theme or potential for it well that's true okay i think that in a certain way um, all of these games need a setting. They need a, a place that they take that the game takes place in. And the distinction of these different levels of how bound the game is to a setting determines how much world building needs to happen uh, within the play session versus how much is done by the game designer. Because the more universal you have, you still need to have themes and intrigue, but uh, that becomes the purview of the GM or the players to establish, whereas in a bound setting, that's done by the designer. And that sets up a lot of the themes and a lot of the interest and buy-in from players because it's already packaged with the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the advantage of Universal is it's also like very tailored to the players. The players get to tailor exactly the world they want to play around in. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I would have defined world building as creating or establishing the bounds of intrigue of the fictional space. Um, So it's saying that this is what's going to exist within the setting and the scope of the game. And then um, whether that's packaged as part of the game or if the game requires world building outside of it um, is, is sort of separate, or I guess that's a, that's dependent on what system you pick up. Right, because if somebody's playing D and D, but they're not playing in one of the published settings, exactly, they're just going to use all the combat stuff and the and the Vancy and magic and yada 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 as is. Right. There's no there's no need to recreate those mechanics to suit this world. They're yep. functional enough that they can work as long as the world doesn't impede them. Exactly, and that you can choose how much world building you want to do within um, generic or universal settings, um, whereas the world is already established in a bound setting. That's been done by the the designer of the game. Um, So I think that the world building still needs to happen. There's a certain level of what is the setting that we're playing in that needs to happen regardless. Um, But how much of that comes as a package deal with the game can vary. Yeah, because you can't play with one or the other. You have to have both. Exactly. Seems reasonable. All right. I think we pretty much covered that. So one thing we said we weren't going to do, but does kind of need to be lightly addressed, is the issue of what a lot of people tend to think of world design as, which is basically making a map like there's like we basically run into the situation on game design where people are like okay i designed a game i have like a dice mechanic and it's like that's not a game same thing it's just a dice mechanic right and it's like i've designed a world look i've made a map 
And it's like, same thing. That's about equivalent to dice in this case. Like, yeah, maps are pretty cool. No, maps are definitely really nice. And they says the guy making really an RPG good. about maps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but he has, he makes use of the maps to tell a story. He makes use of the maps to do something with them. Like just having a map that's unlabeled, it doesn't do anything. It's just, it's just a map in and of itself does not really do anything to tell you anything of the world. It doesn't tell you what the technology level is. It doesn't tell you what is there in the setting. It doesn't tell you anything about the thematic elements of it. It's very basic and bare bones. It doesn't give you what you need to actually, you know, use the setting as a tool in your uh, toolkit to actually do anything. So what do you think on that? It well, a map doesn't even accomplish any of that, even if it does have like icons and labels next to them on it. Like the real the real work of world building is deconstructing culture and reconstituting it. Yeah, that's part of what I was so saying like, earlier. Mm-hmm. So like I have a fairly generic game world, but in it there are two races of dwarves and one of them is the standard lives in mountains and mines out caverns kind of dwarves. And the other, they live in a giant desert. They dress like Bedouins and they build Pueblos. So you, you could take any culture you want from earth and pick them pick elements out of real cultures and mix them together to make new stuff. That's the real work of world building is mix and match cultures. Um, I would say more than that, less than mixing and matching. I, to, to me, when I, when I try and do it and I try and try and figure out exactly what the culture would be like in a particular area in my game world where it matters. um, I, rather than mix and match, I, I do an extrapolation, which is, going to come come up with like you know you put dwarves in a desert what are they going to act like well they're going to act like desert people that just that makes sense they're going to have certain customs and cultures that are um specific to deserts because there's a certain um imposition of the environment on culture and certain things are going to be alike across you know all desert cultures on some level there's going to have they they may have this uh reverence for water that's something you could you could touch on that they may have a uh they're going to dress in cool clothing you know all of these things but like i think part of world building is also taking whatever underlying assumptions you have about your world and extrapolating it up to the surface level where people are going to interact with it so what i mean by that is stuff like um okay let's ha- let's make the assumption that there is magic in the world and then once you specify what magic can do, then the part of the world building you have to do is um, think about what kind of effect this would have at each level of culture. Like at what at what point in human evolution did we figure out magic? Um, and not just human physical evolution, but cultural evolution. Did we figure it out like really late? Was it, did we have iron before we had magic or was 
magic a pre-iron age thing that sort of cave people figured out and that at each the the answer to that question is going to inform your world building and when you do so like that when you scaffold the the surface level of your world building with questions about the fundamental of nature of things each element of your world is going to sort of you it's going to be easier to see where the gaps are because suddenly you're going to have like okay well they've had magic for so long and yet they don't have this uh, uh, like they don't have a a holiday around it you know might be something you would want in a, in a, when you're doing world building and depending on how long ago magic became a human tool there might be a really old holiday associated with it or you know if it was a more recent thing there might not be yet people are still trying to figure it out but when you start designing from base principles and go up, you, it, it's a lot easier to see where those gaps are when you get to the top. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's a somewhat well-known adage about dungeon design that illustrates this, which is don't design your dungeon for what it is now. Design what it was. Mm that sentiment is is very important mm-hmm. to the full scale of world building yeah yeah the further back you go the more information you have moving forwards and the more realistic it feels like in your example you said of designing a dungeon you don't design it as a dungeon you design it as oh this was a mental world, or this was uh, it used to be a barracks or a, uh, you know, a bomb shelter. It used to be a, or it used to be a cargo running spaceship or mm-hmm. right. whatever, whatever its original purpose was, start there and then bring it forward to the present. In general, though, I think I agree more with Rob about the extrapolation. Like, yeah, you kind of do mix and match cultures, but I think it's much more of go back to the basic uh principles like if you have a a particular species like not just a race like oh they're human but their ears are pointy but i mean something that's like oh they actually have like wings or they only have a diet of meat like actual carnivores they're a proper predatory species like things like that completely alter how they think about the world as they go through it so the farther you move back into like the basic concepts, the more those inform what comes after it. And you don't really have to put a lot of effort into building a world. It'll build itself if you just start at a basic point and then let it logically fill its blanks in by itself. I think it's important to say that world building doesn't have to be inventing. It could just be stating what's true like mm-hmm. you could just say uh this game takes place in Yellowknife, you know around 1975 and you know that's what it is mm-hmm. um well inventing or not it's all still declaring what's true yeah right but but just for the sake of people who might be listening like if you don't feel like you're very creative you can just pick places that you think are you know sort of neat places to have your game exist in um 
I think that's just worth stating as a, as a thing. Um, world building doesn't mean I have to invent a fantasy world or a sci-fi world or anything like that. No, it doesn't. Uh, and that's why I was trying to, uh, that's, that's why um, I brought up theme earlier because you, for, for let's say the game takes place in Yellowknife. What's, where's Yellowknife? I have no idea. Northwest uh, territories. <laughs> okay, in Canada. Above the Arctic Circle. Okay. Damn Canadians. Yeah. Uh, so it came to take place in Yellowknife in 1975. So you've already established a whole bunch about it, right? That 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 Canada's a thing and that the timeline is a thing and the tech level, and we all have these things that we've we can now assume based on that little statement. And you're absolutely right. Yeah, those right. two little statements are those two little statements are incredibly loaded yeah which is great because it's done all the world building for you Mm -hmm. right because they use existing player knowledge yeah yeah and and when you 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 take when you do that shorthand yeah you're you're still world building absolutely but the 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 theme of your game like if you want to do like a heist game that takes place in this town which i'm sure is tiny and and in 1975 is like maybe one sheriff or something like that. Well, now that's a, that's a really interesting theme. You know, there's, there's gold mines there. There's go- Oh, perfect. See? And then, but that's a, di- that's going to be a different theme than an urban crime game. You know, there's going to be different, there's going to be nature at work at the very least. Like just the environment's going to be something mm-hmm. that you want to, you want to talk about in your, in your world building. Um, but it's, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's useful to know that you don't have to scaffold up an entire universe from first principles to get to the point where the game's playable. Sometimes you can front load the information just like you did with a place and time and you're ready to go. One thing I would interject is that basically what you're doing when you write like a science fiction setting is you basically say, okay, this is what we know. What if something changed? That's (laughs) basically like the entire premise of what you do with science fiction. You can do that with pretty much all of world building. It's like, okay, you have Yellowknife around 1975, but what if there's actually, like, Yeti are actually a thing? Or, you know, Bigfoot is actually a thing? Or there's actually a werewolf? Something like that. That changes. Or the thing is actually a thing. But that that actually goes back to, like, what world building is is it's the same concept like no matter how far back you go you're doing the same thing it's like oh i know a lot about like evolution and principles of how uh creatures evolve over time based on their environment and other creatures in that environment but at the same time it's like you're just doing the same thing of okay here's a basic concept that i know something about what if something changes in it and that's really all world building really is when you get down to it is what if you know uh science fiction like space blasters are a thing like you know the cheesy 1960s kind of version of them like that's all uh world building really comes down to whether it's like a very hard science fiction or whether it's like based on reality like exceedingly close to reality or whether it's you know something that's complete fantasy it's all based on the same premise though yeah it's all like 
mix and match that I described or the extrapolation that Rob described, they're both useful tools in world mm -hmm. building. And part of that is not, you know, you don't have to, you can invent stuff, you can borrow stuff. It doesn't really matter as long as you're making the world that's interesting to play in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wasn't trying to say this is or isn't world building. I was just sort of clarifying for when we uh, RPGs are so steeped in the fantasy genre that I thought it was important to clarify that it doesn't always have to be that and just how simple it can be to, to, to ignite like a starting point and work off things that are very familiar to us. That's a very good point, and it's a very good one to make. And it is true, though, that that is still a form of world building, especially if you make any variations to it. But a historical fiction where it's basically identical to uh, an exact place in time, that is still totally a form of world A form of world building. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I can speak honestly. A form of yeah, yeah, yeah. Have fun yeah, editing that because... out. <laughs> like... God damn like... it! <laughs> there is there is still world there is world building that happens in say like an oceans movie and the Lord of the Rings, but if the ocean movie has a wide shot of Times Square. That's its world building. Whereas in Lord of the Rings, it's in the story and in the appendixes. To a degree, but that's like an establishing shot. Like you do that pretty much. Establishing <laughs> shots are world building. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. they are. But it's like that'll take place in either one. Like if you have an establishing shot in Lord of the Rings as the movies, it's like they still do like the big shot of like you know saruman's tower for example and they show like a nice wide angle to see mm -hmm. what it is that they're talking about and whether it's like uh in a state of looking pristine with lots of greenery and trees or if those trees are being torn down and you know used to fuel fires mm. well that's just like, the currency of film i mean yeah well, we're talking about how world building happens in different media Establishing shots are still something that, like, yes, they're they're mostly used in film, but that's I, just I make the, the way we're used to seeing it. You actually see them in pretty much every form of media. Like, anytime you have a novel, you still have an establishing shot to say where you are and what's going on in that. Even before that, the RPG covers are establishing shots of games frequently. Yeah, and any GMs. Any GM's opening monologue is an establishing shot. Yeah. Oh, How man. far down the rabbit hole we just go? Where, where are we on this? Mm -hmm. uh, 12 feet at least. Okay. I, yeah. That's okay. Okay. We haven't, we we haven't really strayed that far off topic, oddly. <laughs> <laughs> this is still mostly wanna, on topic. I want to throw out a quote real quick. Maybe. Uh, go for it. Uh, it's, it. It's from from George R. R. Martin, he said, "Genre is a matter of furniture." No, <laughs> sorry, this is the I'm gonna die on. We found it, Kevin. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Should probably explain a bit more. Yeah. Um, okay. So the reason I say 
No. So you're going to rebut this before I explain it. Uh, oh, yeah. No, go, go if you want to explain it a little bit. But I felt like I, f- I feel like that's a fairly self-explanatory statement. I feel like that's why it's a good quote. Um, does it need further explanation? Do so, and yeah, then we will open the floor to Fred to stomp all over it. <laughs> well, about stomping all over, and I'm just gonna rebuke it. But anyway, go for it. Same thing. Sorry. <laughs> right. Okay. So, what I think he meant by that is that whatever the setting is has only superficial impact on what the story. is on the story that is happening within it. Ooh. See, I might have to push back on that too. Yeah. That's that's my that's my issue. Um because, is, is that okay. No, wait, wait. If the story is a love triangle, it doesn't matter if there's space blasters or swords laying around. No, that's but if the story, the story is, is about, about blowing up a planet, it does matter if there's a planet blowing up thing. Well, if that's what the story's about, but the the setting can shape what the story is about and where the story goes, but it doesn't always have, you know, paramount impact on the story itself. All right, let's let Fred do his thing and then Rob can get a few good kicks in <laughs> once the horse has been beaten to death. Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it was already dead and beating a dead horse. Um, but anyway, so the, my, my, my problem with that statement is that setting is theme. Or like, I shouldn't say setting is theme, but theme is tied, is very much tied to setting, is a big part of setting. And uh, depending upon who the author of the thing that you're looking at is, setting may be much, setting may basically just be theme. Um, and they may be almost interchangeable concepts if you're looking at it in that way. I might have to push back on that too. Okay. Um, but 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 so my so my issue with your statement is that I just don't think that's possible because the the setting that you're in informs the kind of stories you can tell very directly. Um, even if you no, don't think. No. 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 Because George R. R. Martin could take all the characters from Westeros and put them in Star in a Star Trek like setting and tell the exact same story. Um <sighs> no. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that you can't move things around and have very similar stories. That's been proven through various things, but the the story ultimately is never going to be the same. I, I think it'd be really hard to do it in Star Trek, actually. Well, Star Trek's also a lot more I mean, just limited to more realistic things. Like, well, I'm just talking about the the the, the sheer not volume Star Trek of kid specifically, fucking. but any not Star Trek specifically, but he could he could take he could take um, John and Daenerys and all all the all of his characters and plop them in sci-fi and tell the exact same story and the only difference would be the props no no i'm afraid not a lot about succession and royalty and a lot of things that i don't think would work all that well in i mean (laughs) if you were to do it in sci-fi it would be like high space opera 
Amy would basically be fantasy in outer space because like you well, have Dune, right? Well, that, it might be Dune. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so be... I, I, I don't, I kind of agree with Carr at least to a certain extent, but I also see the difference and um, I just don't know if this is a too much of a rabbit hole. I don't know. <laughs> I well, mean, yeah, I don't want to drag on. Don't worry, it. we'll get the back. Sorry, out. Rob. Dune's themes are are different than the themes in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. right? Like the, I mean, and, no, no, and the stories. I'm, do... saying, mm-hmm. I'm saying you could take the Game of Thrones characters with those themes and plop it in a different setting genre and tell the exact same story. I'm no. making one big caveat. It depends on that... what you mean by exact same story. If you're basing it on the books, those characters do not fit in reality. Like anything that has like gravity works. Like in reality, they cannot exist in. I mean like if you're basing it more on the show, it's toned down significantly in the show, but like the books, they are like really crazy. So in terms of really crazy in terms of what? Like, you know, an average normal like character that he writes pretty much all of them are very ridiculously over the top like the first no, time they meet that's a character they they're not over the top perfect. that's why they're these books are popular wait wait can we can we not have a discussion about game of thrones <laughs> yeah okay i i think it may be worth pointing this out as a for example outside of game of thrones Romeo and Juliet was rewritten where a lot of the at least style of language was tried to be kept the same and re-released in sometime in the 90s. Um, It was somewhat successful, but probably not that good. (laughs) Um, Well, whether or not it's successful is not the point here. It's whether or not it was faithful to the story. And probably. Um, that's but no, well no because see that's the thing like that story doesn't work if cell phones exist well that's <laughs> why it couldn't be made now and it was made in the 90s but that, but it 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 it, it disproves that notion like romeo and juliet doesn't work as a story if if they can text each other well and it doesn't work as as a story without the baggage of the era it was written in and who wrote it well, I'm I just mean, ta- I'm just talking about like like the the sitcom at the end that results in a double suicide. Like that doesn't happen if they can text each other. Like there's no justification yeah. for it if 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 they can communicate across a distance. Like so, part of it has like it, it re- is reliant upon the lack of communication between people, and that you have if if you're doing that in a modern setting, you then have to like reverse justify. A lack of communication. I can kind of see it in that case, though, because, like, let's face it, like, one of the key things of Romeo and Juliet is I don't want you seeing that guy again and basically removes all contact from them. That's kind of thing where if I catch you texting him, I will remove your phone from your possession kind of thing, and then that could happen, but it's like there are some... Like, the basic elements, I will agree, can totally be transferred between settings. But specific details, and if there's a detail to a story that's required for the story to work at all, like, one of my favorite books is Angel Mass. You could not tell 
Angel Nass's story based on like a modern day setting. It it simply wouldn't work unless you reworked like half the book to do it. Right. That's what I meant by like we have to define exactly what you mean by exact same story. Is it like beat for beat yeah. the same story, or is it like the beat, big plot points? Beat. Not necessarily beat for beat, but at least the big plot points. Like the setting is mainly going to have an effect on what like plot devices are available. But for a competent writer, they they can adapt around those. Yeah. Well, I I don't. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I... <laughs> I feel like I want to say something, but it's not worth it for the context of the show. <laughs> no, 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 do it anyway. Do it I anyway. I don't think Martin could write the sci-fi version of his. Like, I I see what you're saying. Well, you know, authors can tell their stories, but he is familiar with a thing, so I don't think he would particularly write as good a sci-fi as it is uh, fantasy, just oh, because he tells the same story. Read some of his sci-fi from the seventies. The yeah. stuff he won awards for. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I well, I because he's well. All right, this is the last thing I'm going to say about Game of Thrones. Um, it's it's a, a retelling in fantasy of the War of the Roses, more or less, um, yeah. with some other wacky elements. But that is that is he, he's not doing speculative fiction on a level he's not talking about the same things that are happening in dune like there's 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 elements that he can't utilize there's plots he can't utilize because and there's plots he has to utilize because of certain setting elements but but certain elements can be utilized in the same way even if the if even if those elements are different Okay, like so they can serve the same purpose. I'm actually going to say, as the host, we have actually gotten far enough to off topic that even I'm going to shut that down. Okay. Oh my God. I mean, we have actually hit that point. I didn't know it existed, but apparently we have. So, moving on. Let's actually just uh, head directly into the A most hurt. A break. Oh, that actually seems like a good idea. Yeah, break. Okay, break time. Uh, wait, we should say uh, bye, no, listeners. No, wait, no. Bye, listeners. <laughs> bye, everyone. Good night. Good All right, this is going to be an episode break. Wrong. Yeah. Um, what? Follow us on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, rate us on iTunes if you're hearing this. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah, don't rate us on iTunes if you're hearing this. Jesus. <laughs> it's one stars all the way down. No, no, no. It's always rate us if you like us. Yeah, like us, fuck yeah. off. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> rate, yeah. Rate this highly. Don't like us. Like we're not it. worth the effort of a one star yeah. review, clearly. Yeah, whatever. We're just some fuckwits. Don't, don't even bother. <laughs> anyway, goodbye, listener.